0: I invite you to, to join with me in prayer. Father, it is our desire, even now this morning, having already heard your word and be reminded of the good news of your resurrection, uh, that even now as we hear, that you would enable us truly to hear that you would open us up to the joy, the otherworldly, the mysterious joy of Christ having risen from the dead that we might be changed. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I've already said, this is without a doubt my favorite Sunday of the year. I can never get through Christ the Lord has risen today without choking up, as you probably even saw at the beginning of the service. There is just so much, so much meaning, so much joy that is in the news of Christ having risen from the dead. Yet I'll also be honest with you, this is oftentimes one of the hardest weeks for me in my preparation because I feel some challenges as a pastor. Part of the challenge, of course, is the fact that I know many of you have heard multiple reflections on this news. Every Easter we return to the same truths. But it's more than that. There is this sense that I feel heavily upon me, this awareness that there might be some even of you this morning who are not yet able to enter into the joy of the resurrection. That there are in fact some of you who perhaps might never experience the joy that God means you to have through the resurrection of Christ. And that possibility kind of weighs upon me. I, I find it leading me to try to think more carefully about what to say to be praying for all of us you know it's striking to me actually that if you look at the four gospels and how they describe the very end of their stories none of them actually have an account of the resurrection itself i don't know if you've thought about this but there is no description of the moment that the breath enters jesus body that the pulse begins that he he sits up We don't have that information. In some ways, that's this private moment that's left just between Jesus and his heavenly Father. What we do have, actually, is is the response. What happens next? The different reactions that people have to the news of the empty tomb, to the risen Jesus. And In fact, Matthew, uniquely amongst the four Gospels, doesn't just give us one response, but he actually describes for us two different reactions to the resurrection. There is a response of entering into resurrection joy, and there's a response of closing oneself up to it, closing oneself up to reality. The first of these is ones that perhaps we're a bit more familiar with. It's the story that we started with at the very beginning of the service. You have... Mary, and, Ma- Mary Magdalene and another Mary waking up early in the morning while it's still dark and they are walking to the tomb carrying oils and spices. They want to honor the body of Jesus, the body that was so degraded just a couple days earlier. This is in some ways their quiet form of protest. But as they are walking and the sun is beginning to peak above the horizon, to their shock, the, the earth starts trembling violently. And as they continue to walk and as they actually approach the tomb, they don't understand what they see. There are two people clothed in soldiers garbed who just seem to be slumped on the ground. And... And the very, very heavy stone that they had no idea how they were going to move has already been moved. But even more striking than all of this is that on that stone someone who looks like a man, a man who's in clothing that that no bleach could get as white as it is, but it's even more than that. It's bright. If you remember sometimes in the middle of the night in a thunderstorm, when everything is dark, if you're looking out the window and suddenly the lightning flashes, if it's close, it can be almost blinding. and And Matthew tells us that's how bright this person was. And so in this moment, the women are trembling and terrified. And the angel for that is what this is says to them do not be afraid have you ever noticed it seems like every single time every angel ever appears to a human being that's the first thing they say you almost wonder if there's like an angel training course that just kind of gives them step one say do not be afraid well that's what he says and he and he gestures for them to come and say do you not be afraid for i know that you're looking for jesus the one who was crucified he is not here he has been raised just as he said he would come and see where he lay and so these two women still filled with fear and yet pulled forward by a longing a kind of courage come to the tomb and look inside it and there they see exactly what the angel said there is no body and as they step away, they, they look in each other's faces, both seeing tears and eyes, seeing the same emotion reflected by each other that they are feeling in themselves. There is still fear. That fear will never actually completely leave them. There is still fear, but along with that fear, there is this new note of hope. There is this, this dawning sense of joy. And so they begin picking up their pace. They're they're wanting, as the angel told them to do, to get back to the disciples. But even as they are moving forward, they are stopped by a man who says something that's very ordinary. He says, greetings, or it could even be translated, hello. Hello. But this is not ordinary at all because the man who is so incredibly happy with his biggest smile is the same one who just two days ago was hanging on a cross and who breathed his very last breath. And the two women do not know how to react. They, they kind of collapse at his feet, un, unable to understand what's taking place. And as they grab the feet that they know were pierced by nails just two days before, they feel warmth. They feel life. He is no ghost. Jesus is alive. And, and Jesus kneels down and, and looks at them, and then he says to them, I have a message for the disciples. And notice what he calls the disciples. He says, tell my brothers, which is a beautiful thing for him to say. These disciples are probably racked with guilt at their absolute failure of, of leaving Jesus in the moment of need. But he says, tell my brothers I will meet them in Galilee. And and the women go away in joy. And, and that's what we have here. This first response is a response of joy. But I hope even as we're considering it together right now, you recognize that this is not only a powerful joy, but there is something about it that makes this a, a complicated joy. It is more than a little frightening, more than a little unbalancing. This is not some sort of tame news. This is not just a story about happy ending and a new beginning, about new possibilities and and life starting. This is not a comfort food kind of story like when you're watching an old TV show that you're familiar with or you're playing with puppies. It's not tame. It is wild and mysterious and otherworldly because what is happening here is upheaval at the very root of reality. There are spiritual powers who are coming. There is death that has been conquered. There is a new world order that is being established because the kingdom of heaven has come. Jesus, from the moment he started his ministry, He again and again focused on one central truth above everything else. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And by this, he was saying the way things are right now is not working. This world is broken. The political structures are corrupt and unjust. Even the religious leadership is not accomplishing what they're meaning to. Even you, you are broken by sin. And I have come to make everything right. I have come to turn things upside down, Jesus says, by establishing a new reality, a new community, a new life to give you a new way with God, a new self that is free from loneliness and selfishness and suffering and death. Because the new world, the new life that I am establishing will be one of perfect harmony between humanity and God and this world. That's that's what I am doing. I am establishing a kingdom. My kingdom is coming. Every miracle that Jesus did every word that jesus said was all meant to point forward to this reality when when jesus was feeding thousands who were hungry and making them satisfied when jesus was opening the eyes of those who once were blind so for the first time they could see when jesus was taking people whose bodies were paralyzed who felt as if they were dead and he makes them be able to stand all of these are meant as as teasers as signposts saying this is what i am doing This is the world that I am bringing. I am turning everything upside down and making everything new. And the reason I bring that up right now is because about, I don't know, maybe six months before, as Jesus continues to proclaim this message, he explains to his disciples that for him to bring about this massive upheaval, he's going to be doing something unthinkable. Again, he says, for this to take place, I'm going to have to be handed over I'm going to have to be crucified, I'm going to die, and on the third day, rise again. And that's unthinkable for the disciples, they cannot possibly understand how a king could be victorious through death, so they have no understanding when Jesus goes to the cross that this is what he always had set out to do, and they are not in any way prepared for what is happening on Easter morning, but it happens. It happens. When the angel speaks, notice what he says. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said he would. He has said this is his plan. As he is speaking of making all things new, he has said, I will die and rise again. And it is happened. He has won. Which is why if we were to continue on beyond our passage and see that wonderful meeting between Jesus and the disciples, we hear Jesus say, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the king, he is saying, and I am making all things new. My kingdom is coming. The end of every terrible thing has begun. The end of every terrible thing has begun. I'm reminded of this moment in one of my favorite series, The Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's near the very end of the story. After Sam and Frodo have already destroyed the ring in Mount Doom, and they've been rescued, and Sam has been having to kind of recover in bed, and one morning when he wakes up, he sees Gandalf, which makes no sense to him because he thought he saw Gandalf die. And, And what he says in response is, "Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself." Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. Jesus is declaring in this moment, I have won, a shadow has been conquered, The beginning of all of the end of terrible things has taken place. Everything sad is becoming untrue. Jesus is saying, I have established a new way, a new way to God, a new way of forgiveness, a new life, a new hope, a new future, and I'm wanting you to join me into this joy. And that's exactly what happens with these women, that's what happens with the disciples. They, they take hold of this, they open themselves up to this, and they enter into this joy that will carry them through life and even through death into eternal life. That's, that's the first response, the glorious response we see in Matthew. But as I said, there is also a second response recorded for us. It's a response that in some ways you could trace with the guards, those Those sad, poor guards, think of this. Think of the job they thought they were in for. Guard a tomb. Is there anything easier than guarding a tomb? This seemed like easy money for them. They were not prepared for the earthquake or for the stone being rolled away, and they were most definitely not ready for an angel appearing to them I said before about what happens, how angels always say, do not be afraid. Here we see why, because when these two guards, who are battle-tested, see an angel, they are so overcome by fear that they cannot handle it anymore, and they collapse, they faint. They are out. It is just so overwhelming. And when they eventually come to, they see the tomb is empty, and they they return in the same way like the, the women return back to tell the news, they also return back to the city to tell... The religious leaders, the news of what happened, of the angel they saw, of the tomb that was rolled back, of of the tombstone that was rolled back, of the empty tomb. And perhaps to their relief, they find that the religious leaders actually believe them. Religious leaders tell them to wait there, they're going to confer with others, they gather some of the Pharisees, some of the priests, and say what are we going to do about this? And I just want you to pause for a moment and think about what where they're at in this moment, they have just been given the news that an angel has come, the stone is rolled back, the tomb is empty. These are intelligent people. They, they understand the significance of this, that it means that Jesus has risen. More than that, they understand What the the scriptures say, and they realize that if he is risen, that means he is the king that God has promised. That means the wait is over. And in this moment, they have before them this opportunity. There is now a way before them to experience forgiveness. For Jesus has said he comes to forgive sins. There is now a way before them to experience a new kind of glorious hope. There is a way before them to be changed and maids new. There's a sense that these religious leaders actually kind of have now a crossroads, a fork in the road. They could continue on in the way that they have gone all of their lives, but now there is this, this new possibility. If they open themselves up to this reality, if they accept that Jesus has risen from the dead, it will be scary, because they will have to acknowledge that they were horribly horribly wrong. It means they will have to potentially lose their positions of honor, lose their power. Who knows what they might lose if they walk down this other pathway, but what they gain is, is reality. What they gain is, is joy. But that is not the pathway they take. They they choose to continue down the way they've always been and they gather the guards back and they say, here's what you need to say. You're sleeping. And while you're sleeping, the disciples came, rolled away the stone, pulled Jesus' body out, and that's why he's not there anymore. And in case you're worried about how this is going to affect your reputation, here's some money to make it easier for you. That's a ridiculous, a ridiculous story. I mean, just, just, Think about it for a moment. If they were sleeping, how would they know the disciples came? And if they did know the disciples came, why wouldn't they have stopped the disciples? It's not like the disciples were terribly adept at fighting. There's no sensibility to this, but it's even worse than that. It's tragic. Because these religious leaders in this moment are closing themselves off to joy. Joy. For the rest of their lives, they will be able to continue on with the life they had before. They will continue to have this position of honor. People will respect them. They will continue with the religious rituals they have, the reading of scripture, the the prayers. But all this time, a part of them deep down will know that there's an emptiness to what they are doing. Because they will know the truth. And a part of them that they may never even acknowledge to themselves will always wonder what would have happened if they had left the group and instead gone to the disciples, sought out Jesus, and asked for forgiveness. For all of their life, they will ache from the knowledge of an absence of resurrection joy. Now, as a pastor, one of my jobs, I think, is to ask awkward questions. And so I want to ask us a question here this morning. Is it possible that what I just said about those religious leaders is also true of you. According to surveys, if you are an average American, you believe that the resurrection took place. But here's the more important question, I think. What does the resurrection mean to you? What significance do you ascribe to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? Is it just possible that there is something bigger, that there is something more, there is something huge and otherworldly about the resurrection that you have not yet grappled with? Is it possible that for whatever reason you have kept the resurrection and what it means at arm's length and have closed yourself off to it? One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, Um, probably many of you know of him because he wrote the Narnia series, but he's also written other stuff, of course. And perhaps one of his strangest works of fiction is a book entitled The Great Divorce, where it's a a fictional account of a dream that he says he has, where someone he describes as the teacher enables him to see a bus trip. It's not an ordinary bus trip because the bus starts in the desolate, lonely, gray location of hell and it takes citizens of hell and goes into heaven and brings them there for a short period of time. And and as they step out of the bus, they see heaven and its beauty and, and the colors are are glorious. The greens are vibrant. The blue of the river is, is so richly blue. In fact, these colors are so powerful that as these people stand out, they almost feel transparent, gray in comparison as these journeyers step on the grass the grass doesn't even bend as as they sometimes try to pick up a leaf they can barely lift up even a leaf because the reality in heaven is so much realer so much weightier than anything in hell and in this vision each of these journeyers end up interacting with with one of the saved one of the people who is now a resident in heaven who themselves are glorious and inexpressibly joyful. And the twist in this story is that each of these interactions, the, the, the saved invites them here, just come further down the path. I will show you the way that you can join us and stay here. They invite them to a way to stay in heaven, but each situation ends with the people who have journeyed here refusing and instead choosing to go back to hell. So, in one situation, you have a man who was very proud of the way that he has lived when he was on earth and confident that he deserved everything that could be coming to him from heaven. And he is offended when one of the saved comes and, and offers as a gift this ability to stay in heaven with them. And, and the ghost says to the saved, I, I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. Then do, the saved soul responds, at once. Ask for the bleeding charity. Everything here is for the asking, and nothing can be bought. But that makes the journey soul even more angry. He gets more angry as he's informed that he wasn't the decent chap that he thought he was. And at a certain point, the only way that he can hold on to his pride is responding in this way. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for any." Sorry, he says, tell them I'm not coming. See, I'd rather be damned than go along with you. I came here to get my rights, see, not to go sniveling along on charity. In the end, he would rather go to hell than to let go of his pride. Another tragic moment in the story is of a man who has been just utterly made bitter by the loss of his wife whom he so deeply loved. It has come to define him and now in this moment he meets his wife again who is one of the saved, who is in heaven, who is filled with joy and that joy actually causes some resentment amongst this man who is grieving over the death of his wife. And and yet as she smiles at him, not cruelly but in kindness as she loves, as she laughs, there is a warmth to her laughter that, that starts to melt him. You can only um, almost imagine like the corners of his lips are starting to turn up. He's almost about to join in with laughter and, and then he uses the very last ounce of energy he has to hold on to his anger and turn away because he would rather go to hell than let go of his sadness and self-pity. And and C.S. Lewis, in this dream, talks to the teacher and, and tries to understand what is going on. And the teacher responds with what is really, I think, the key to the entire book. Milton was right, he says. The choice of every lost soul can be expressed in the words, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. There is always something they insist on keeping even at the price of misery, there is always something they prefer to joy, that is, to reality. There is always something that they prefer to joy, that is, reality. Do you hear that? Reality, if we grasp it, is joy. And, and what this story is meant to provoke in us is a question. Is there something that we are holding on to, even as it makes us miserable? Is there something that we would prefer to reality? That we would prefer to joy? I believe it's possible that this morning there are some of you who are at a kind of crossroads. If you continue in the path that you've been going, life will stay as normal. You'll go home, you'll have a nice Easter dinner, business will go back as normal on on Monday, and, and life will be unchanged. But there is this other pathway. This pathway that the resurrection has opened up for you if you open yourself up to it. This pathway that invites you to explore what the resurrection actually means. That's that's what it's involving. It's asking you to consider just what does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead. Just what does it mean for you? The first step if you want to consider walking down this path is simple. It is simply asking for help. In the quiet of prayer, even as we will be having quiet when the Lord's Supper is being served, to ask Jesus, please, if you are here, help me to see you and understand what it means that you have risen. And when you are ready to ask me or someone else who is a Christ follower, maybe someone who's just a little further down the path than you, to help, because this is not a journey that is meant to be done alone. Because here is the truth that I am convinced of. the very bottom of my heart reality is joy everything sad is becoming untrue the kingdom of god is coming because jesus has risen he has risen indeed would you please join with me in prayer Lord, we pray, I pray for all of us, whether we have, have placed our faith in you for years or even this morning right now, you're opening us up to you. Would you please open us up? Would you please move us past whatever might threaten us, whatever fear we might have, and enable us to embrace the reality that Jesus is risen, that he is the king, and that in him is life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.